When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan. And if you're new, welcome to the show. Make sure you subscribe because we have new episodes coming out every Monday. Um, If you've been around for a while and you have an artist that you'd like us to talk about, let us know by messaging us on Facebook and Instagram. And last thing, if you love the show, click the Patreon link below, become a patron. You get early episodes and special access to our favorite segment, which is the Bad Music Podcast, where we talk about the six worst songs of our artists that week but lucas what are we talking about today so this is the last episode of the month for those of you guys that have been following us for a while you know what that means it's time to do another episode in our history of music sub-series and we are going to be talking about uh the concerto what is a I've heard the term, but like what does a concerto technically mean? Well, it's a lot of people think that it's pronounced concerto because it's just concert with an O on it. Yeah. And that's not the way you say it. It's it's called a concerto. <laughs> a concerto. A concerto. Concerto. A concerto is a purely instrumental piece of music that was developed during the Baroque period. And um it like I'm finding most major musical forms are is derived from opera. I'm I'm now realizing how correct it was to make opera the first Baroque thing that we looked at because oratorio came from it. The concerto comes from it. I learned that the symphony comes from it. Like opera pretty much birthed every major musical genre that we know. Wow. Wow. So the opera was a big deal. Um, what concerto mean? And it literally is, this is where we get the word for concert. Um, a concerto literally means a struggle. And what it is, is that either instrumentally or musically, the music is at battle with either the audience or within itself pretty much it's 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 supposed to show contrast so typically in a concerto you always have two uh sections of the instrumental group you have the um the main melody making part which is called the concertini and in the baroque period that usually uh consisted of a string quartet that's kind of where the idea of the string quartet comes from. And then you have what's called the grossi, which is the accompaniment. That's where your harpsichord, your bass, your other supporting instruments are going to sit. And um, typically, you'll either have um, both of these pieces working together to create musical uh, struggle as far as like the struggle is more in the themes of the music or you'll have both of the groups kind of vying for control of the music that's cool now whenever I say struggle and all that it's don't think that it's going to be like very harsh sounding or very angry sounding music 
many concertos are very calm, relaxing. It's rather, again, struggle, not meant to be an ugly term, but rather just to show that it's not going to be um, the monochromatic musical style of the Renaissance. Hmm. But rather, you're going to have these you're going to have these melodies that are constantly moving and and going different places even more so than than your oratorios and even the operas the concerto was really the first time in music history that instrumental music took center stage and started to become a force in of itself so i always heard that concerto I always heard it used synonymously with like a performance piece. Yeah, um, I had had always thought that a concerto meant that there was always going to be a solo in it. Yeah, like a like a soloist. And that's actually not true. It's one of the. It's probably the most startling thing that I learned while doing this. That has become the most popular type of concerto. It's called the solo concerto. But it's not concerto. In fact, when we get to our six songs, I've split it down the middle of having three solo concertos and three concerto grossi. So, are the solo concertos? Are they? Is there like a single soloist, or is no, the struggle like doing no. doing violin solos? You've still got the the full band, but rather you'll have one instrument that kind of um, like that, yeah, that takes the lead. Sometimes they'll get um, sparse, unaccompanied uh, moments where they get to just play. But a lot of the time, especially in the Baroque period, that doesn't happen too often. You'll find that more in in classical and romantic concertos. Hmm. That they'll, they'll, they'll give space for the soloist to really um, be the star. Um, but yeah, I always thought that that was one of the 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 re- prerequisites for a concerto was that you had to have a soloist, and it was very surprising, as especially as I was listening to, it, I was just like, "There's no soloist in here," yet it says it's a concerto. Huh. And when I did my research, I was like, "Oh, there's a different kind." So where did these come from? They mainly came from Italy. Concerto is an Italian word, mm-hmm. and and because Italy was the the birthplace and the capital of opera during the Baroque period, and and really would stay that way through all the time periods, although more areas became challengers in the Baroque period. Like no one challenged Italy in opera making, but was it essentially like? Like, are, are concertos just opera without the vocals? So, concertos... Kind of concept, concert? Conceptually. Yeah, um, what they did was they tried to capture the spirit and the lyricism of opera without having to have vocals or words. Or, like, the performance of it. Yes, and that's why, specifically, it's the concerto that really turned the violin into a big-time instrument. Because mm. they found that of all the instruments, the violin did the best of m- imitating the lyrical expressiveness of the yeah. human voice. It had the range. It had the the vibrato. It had the you could you could be harsh or subtle. You had a lot of range in the way that you played it. There's a lot of expression on the violin. Yes. And so the violin was not a major instrument until the concerto started to become a big thing. And then that was kind of like, that was when the violin became a star in the instrument world. Um, You could really say because of that, it became the instrument of the Baroque period. The major, like the major innovation. Do we know who like wrote the first one? We, um, I mean, not really. Big one. Um, we will talk about uh, the first big one. One of our uh, one of our songs will be from that, and that is a guy named Arcangelo Corelli. 
did did the concertos work the same as operas where it's like they're really long performances? No. So the way a concerto is constructed is that there's three parts normally. Now we'll find that in the early forms of concerto, there wasn't really a set yeah. style. Like uh, we're going to look at a piece from uh, Corelli's first major concerto and it had six movements. But those movements were usually barely a minute long. Wow. Concertos are very short. You can usually listen to an entire concerto in like six or seven minutes. All three so, movements. So starting to get, you know, the pop the pop culture time moment on there. Yes. And um, you could really say that the concerto was the pop song of the Baroque period. It was it was meant to be easily consumed by the masses, although, as you'll find, they're still incredibly rich musically. Don't take that as an insult. But um, as the Baroque period moved forward, it became more and more important for Baroque composers to make sure that their music is easily digestible by a large audience. Why? Like because why? Why it did? was it was the uh, the ethics of the time. You could say that it was um, the idea that what is best for the most possible people is the best thing. Period. But are we at this time? I remember we talked a little bit about operas, and even before that, like the kings, like hiring a musician to make a work or whatever. You know. Uh huh. So are we kind of? Like, what pushed it? Because this doesn't sound, I guess this doesn't sound like that is happening as much anymore. It sounds like you just have people. Well, six minutes what would, what would, the way it would work is that they these would still be commissioned by these um, by yeah. these lords and these rulers. But rather now, because music is so much easily, so much easier to be distributed, to be printed onto paper and sold they were making uh music that could be easily replicated by any you know local band and so even if these composers themselves are not holding these big concert everyone in the town yeah. can come listen they're still performing exclusively for noblemen but what they do is they publish their work and that's how it gets to a wide audience Hmm. In in songbooks, they would they would write concerto books. They would take here are all the concertos that I wrote in the last five years and put it in a book. Wow, wow. Um, one of the so concertos were the first like actual like easily distributable form. Of yes, music. because they weren't very long. We will see some um, concertos that are very technically demanding and very technically stunning, but that wasn't always the norm, especially not in the Baroque period. We'll find that as we get into the classical and the romantic, it's the concerto starts to become more about displaying the skill of the composer and the performer. But in the Baroque period, you the solo concerto was did not overshadow the the concerto grossi which if you when you listen to those they're going to be very simple yet very beautiful pieces but we'll have a couple in there that you're just going to be like wow the technical skill on this is insane you could really trace heavy metal and virtuoso playing to the concerto oh yeah Oh, for sure. No doubt about that. Like, you're going to hear some shredding moments. That you're just like, man, I guarantee that a heavy metal guitarist has learned this at some point. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so normally concertos are uh, in three movements. And really, I would, you, I would say about like probably 20, 30 years into the concerto's life is when that rule was established. And it was kind of like, this is the way concertos are written. And they didn't really get changed until the classical period. 
when they introduce some new forms. But this is called the concerto form. You typically have um, a fast movement, a slow movement, and then a fast movement again. Fast, slow, fast. Hmm. And it was a formula. And it kind of came down to who could be the most creative with that formula. Yeah, that's cool. And man, we had some people that were very creative with the limitations that they had. Well, limitations breed creativity. Yeah. So that is exciting. So, um, yeah, the concerto is really, it's the birth of instrumental music. It's the first instrumental form that was able to capture people's attention and imagination in a way, in the same way that music with words did. Because if you think about it, literally everything that we've listened to in this series up to this point has like mostly been vocal. Except for maybe to go back all the way to like the ancient. But then again, we didn't even, we were just guessing that it might have had instrumental music. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Or like in say, you know, um, our opera one, it was just, it was just a small interlude. It wasn't something that stood on its own. So, I mean, we don't have instrumental music that's as popular today, right? You don't hear, you don't turn on the radio and hear instrumental music necessarily. No. So how long did this stick? Like, did, does this instrumental idea continue through the next few eras? Oh yeah, absolutely. And in fact, in fact, it's going to grow, especially when, in the classical period, we get to the symphony mm-hmm. and the sonata. And um, I mean, think of ballet. It's that's all instrumental and no vocal. Uh, Entire shows worth. Um, you could even say that we eventually get to a point to where instrumental surpasses vocal. Wow. Just because it's the the creativity and the limitless potential the composers had, it was just like with instrumental, you could literally do with any, you could do anything you wanted. But we're not there yet. Necessarily. We're not there yet. This is really, this is really the only major instrumental form that we'll see in the Baroque period. But once we get to the classical period, we're going to start to see it become more and more important. And I would say by the Romantic period, it's, it's you know, become more important. Like classical period, you could say it's like 50-50. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, very, it's a very fun genre. Yeah. It's, it's got a lot of... Um, a lot of life to it. And um, I want you guys to see if you can uh, pick up on all of the Baroque style melodies. Now that we've spent a little bit of time in the Baroque period, we've examined kind of what a Baroque melody is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'll start to go, oh, okay, I, I see the Baroqueness in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. You guys have any other questions? I I honestly don't have a whole lot of uh, background in this kind of music. So oh yeah, we it's, yeah. It's, give me give, so it sounds like me. it makes sense why the music evolved the way that it did. Like we're getting to the point in music now where it's like, why did this music even exist? And it's like, oh well, it wanted to capture opera but be shorter. And it's like makes sense to me, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> like there was no like we made this astonishing revelation. It's really just like, what if we did opera, but shorter and like less, and we <laughs> did it with violin because it's yeah. super. And it's just like, listen, I'm all down for that. I'm just excited to hear it. So Ethan, yeah. what are, what are your first thoughts about the concerto? I am, uh, I think I'm probably just a five out of uh, an ignorant five. I'm excited because I feel like we're going to get some, more of like probably what people would think of like classical or baroque you know 
mm-hmm. with, like the technical side of it. So I'm excited to listen to it. Um, but again, all all music history episodes are really fun in that way to just be like, oh, the evolution from opera, or oh, the addition of this thing. You know, right. mm. I'd put myself at a five. All right, Grant, where would you put yourself? Well. I don't even I didn't even know we were doing the ranking thing for music history, but I guess <laughs> me, me, wise, we well. can now. We, we can now. now. Ethan, we're at a point now. So I guess I have to be at a five because I thought I understood what it was, but I evidently do not. Um, I don't have. I mean, already we're in the Baroque era. That's like four hundred years ago ish, and so don't have a lot of cultural or musical context to begin with but like i kind of understood what an opera was and i kind of understood you know handel's messiah and i had a good um like background enough knowledge to understand the significance of l'orfeo but Mm -hmm. like the concerto i don't i don't even know you'll know what even what to expect it seems like we're coming out of left field with this one you know that it's like we had um, we had the Gregorian chants, and then we went into Renaissance music, and everything kind of got more grand and more vocal and more layers and everything. And now it seems like we're taking something away, you know, taking away vocals. It's like what? But also, I think we're going to add virtuosity. Maybe I don't know. I haven't heard anything yet, so I'm probably going to be looking forward to that. I don't know. There's there's not much that I think I can really say or even I don't even know what questions to ask really until I hear anything because I just I don't know what questions I even need to have. I'm that ignorant. Well, through five. I would say that I was at a probably like a like a high six or a low seven. I've I've looked I've listened to concertos before. Um, I've liked concertos. Um, I wouldn't have said they would have been my go-to type of instrumental classical and Baroque music to listen to, but um, I've found that there's been a lot that I've learned about the concerto and and an appreciation that I didn't have before. So... um, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm at probably a six. I I had a lot of incorrect ideas about what concertos were just from like the very surface level research that I had done before. And so um, I'm, I'm planning on my opinion changing pretty uh, significantly. Wow. I mean, significantly upwards, I would hope, and from a six or a seven. <laughs> This is pretty, this is big time. Yes, it is. All right. I think that it is time for us to go ahead and take a break here. When we come back, we are going to talk about the six Baroque concertos that I have picked for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. This episode of the Good Music Podcast is brought to you by Southern Safe Rooms. When severe weather threatens, you want the maximum protection for you and those you love. If an intruder forces their way into your home, you need a secure space for you and your family to take shelter in order to stay safe. If you want a secure place to store your guns, guitars, or other valuables like drums, A custom shelter is the solution you need. Southern Safe Rooms builds custom certified safe rooms that can be installed in your home, garage, workshop, or anywhere you have a concrete reinforced slab. Southern Safe Rooms builds all of our safe rooms in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and can install them on any reinforced concrete slab. The Southern Safe Rooms custom storm shelters can withstand wind speeds of up to 250 miles per hour. Southern Safe Rooms have been tested by Texas Tech University and are built to exceed FEMA standards to withstand an EF5 tornado. 
The Southern Certified Safe Room is constructed with the highest quality materials, far exceeding conventional storm shelter construction. With over 110 years, count them, of steel manufacturing experience, Southern Safe Rooms knows how to build a secure shelter for your home. Call 918-584-3371 or visit our website, southernsaferooms.com. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about the concerto from the Baroque period in this edition of the Music History Series. And now it is time to get to our six-song segment. So for those of you who are new, welcome. We're very glad that you're here and taking this journey of music history with us. And Lucas, can you explain to those new people what the significance of this segment is? So this is our opportunity to actually show instead of tell you guys what Baroque concerto music is about. So we could we could talk and talk and talk and talk all night long. But it's by actually hearing some examples, hearing some songs that you'll actually be able to um, understand what we're talking about. So I've picked out some specific songs for us to kind of dissect, talk about, and most importantly, as suggestions for you guys to go and listen to. And the way that I've picked these songs is I wanted to make them representative of the style that we're talking about talk make sure that we cover some significant composers while also at the same time trying to have a great emotional flow with the songs that they transition well off of each other and that at the end you have a significant emotional experience so the way that you can listen to these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode that takes you to a spotify playlist where you can listen to not just these songs, but all the songs from our previous episodes as well. So uh, make sure you go and check those out. Ethan and Grant are going to be listening to these songs for the first time. So um, you can listen along with us, or you can listen to them afterward, or if you want to pause, go listen to them and then come back, whichever way you enjoy best. So we'll go ahead and get started with the first song. Now, uh, when I say song in this episode, I'm actually just going to be pulling a movement. We're not going to listen to seven entire concertos. That would take way too long. Oh. And there would be just, that would be a lot of music to try and <laughs> digest. So, um, because you can really think of concertos as like three song trilogies. Um, we're going to consider a movement a song. So we're going to start with the most famous move, movement from a concerto and one of the most recognizable pieces of music ever written, and that is Antonio Vivaldi's The Four Seasons' First Movement in Spring. So let's um, let's go ahead and jump into it. You guys are going to recognize this the instant that it begins, kind of in the same way that Hallelujah, you're like, oh, I know that. All right. We shall see. All right. You guys ready? Yep. Count us off. In three, two, one. You know how little I knew about concertos? I didn't even know this was a concerto. But everybody knows this thing. Yeah. It's been like every movie, every anytime that you're trying to show something fancy and ritzy, yes. like everyone plays Four Seasons. This this song is in the uh, WarioWare DS game. Oh, I love the WarioWare games. I know it's so, and this is like, I knew it at that point. I got that game when I was like right when it came out. I was very young, so it's it's this is a public consciousness song. Yes, it is. And the same again, like I said, in the same way that the Hallelujah chorus is, uh, the first, the first. I mean, it's just it's so brilliantly written. Yeah. Now let's talk about what the Four Seasons is. The Four Seasons is actually four concertos, conceptually tied together, each one to musically describe a season. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this season is spring, so you can hear the violins mimicking the birds singing. Mm-hmm. And the joy of spring, it's new life. Um, you'll hear 
um, whenever everyone is playing together, it'll imitate the sound of a, uh, a rushing river of animals coming out of their hibernation and sleep. Um, you'll hear the, uh, the first sprinklings of April showers. And um, it's just, it's very great at musically speaking without words. And that's mm-hmm. the whole point of a concerto is that if we're going to replace the words, we have to still be able to paint a picture with the music. Yeah. Ooh. We got we got to the virtuosic section. Yes. There's a lot of really fast well, whatever it is you do on a violin. Arpeggios, maybe. Or... Yes, there's arpeggios. And there's the 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 equivalent of tremolo picking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like a little modulation there I forgot about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, down. Rep- represent the uh, the the disappearance of the sunshine and the rain, but it'll soon return. Um, Vivaldi himself was a virtuoso violin player. You could really say that the Four Seasons was his master work in showcasing what the violin was truly capable of. He, you can imagine that at this point there were probably few truly virtuoso violin players, right. and so mo- a lot of people probably didn't even really know what the violin was capable of, mm-hmm. and and the Four Seasons sure showed it. So yeah, is this like really early in the in the lifespan of the concerto? No, um, this actually came. F- fairly late into the Baroque period, but still you really didn't have people playing at this level yet. The, the whole idea of, of this insane level of technicality was, was still a new idea. All right. Well, we are now on to our second idea of the set, the Concerto Grosso in B flat major OP dot whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> I've not heard this before. So this um you're probably not gonna have heard of any of the other pieces. I wanted to start okay. with the yeah. the big recognizable one to kind of hook you in and just go, oh okay, I know this. Ah. Okay. And now we're gonna actually listen to like I was describing a concerto grosso. So we're not gonna have a uh, a solo performer. Rather, we're going to have kind of the group of melody musicians kind of carrying the melody while you have the, uh, the, the concertini. And you'll have the grosso, which is more providing, again, more of like the chords uh, progression. Mm-hmm. So as you can hear, this is a much different style. It's not as... Um, it's not as hook-based... Where, like, you listen to that first movement of Four Seasons, and it's just, it's like every single melody is meant to stick in your brain. Yeah. Um, we'll find, specifically with Concerto Grosso's, that's not as much the goal, but rather the goal is to present as if uh, you had a choral movement in an opera where you have lots of different things going on working together to create a beautiful scene. Mm. So um, this was written by uh, Pietro Locatelli. All of these are going to be by, uh, except for the very last one, are going to be by Italian composers. Yep, the Italians, they cornered the market. They really did. (laughs) Yeah. Just like opera wasn't super, super popular outside of uh, Italy as far as like people going and making new operas. Um, same thing with concertos. That was, it was a very Italian thing to do. Although the Germans definitely picked up on it in kind of the back half of the Baroque period. Yeah. This well, is a simple piece. Yes. Like it's not in a bad way. But I mean, it definitely doesn't have the the technical chops of Four Seasons. Yeah. It, it doesn't have the speed either. It's a lot more calm. Yes, this is this is a typical second movement. 
It's nice though. So this this is the second movement of the. I believe so. Yes. Well, that makes sense then. Right, because you mentioned that it was the fast, slow, fast. Yeah. Uh huh. We're getting the full experience then. Yes, we are. <laughs> or are you doing? Are you like designing the set like a whole big six part? No, not really. Just because again, six part concertos are not that common. Um, I I I gave myself a few rules as a as a baroque composer would do, where I was like, I want to have three solo concertos and three concerti grossos, and I wanted to have a range of sounds and a range of compositional styles. And also get a little, mo- even though I'm mostly going to use Italian composers, I wanted to also get a little bit of range mm-hmm. of location. We are well, into our next, our third song. Yes. yes. We are. So this is by Arcangelo Corelli. This is the one we were talking about earlier. This was, this was like, I wouldn't say it was the first major concerto, but it was one of them. And um, this is typically a, uh, called the Christmas Concerto because it was uh, ordered to be written and performed on Christmas Eve. Hmm. So, um... So then what's, can pick what's up the, the meaning behind it? Uh, say that again? What What's the meaning behind it? Like, is it particularly Christmas themed? Because uh, there's no lyrics. No, but I mean, you can you can definitely feel the, um the the rusticness almost like a a a folk christmas it's very it's very warm you could you could you could almost feel a fire next to you family and friends together Mm -hmm. having a nice home-cooked meal the the smell of the christmas tree you know lucas you should combine some of these concertos and like your visual descriptions and make a spoken word album (laughs) because <laughs> it really like they complement each other oh thank you <laughs> did you know g minor is the relative minor of b flat major and you no. put those songs right next to each other it's oh man pretty well. i'm telling you it's because just my 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 instinct knows it's the spider instinct yeah <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> I just i just know instinctually this this should be next to each other these two songs should be, even if I don't understand. Well, now this one's slow, so I guess we're not technically in the typical third section. No, and this, like I said, this is an early concerto, so it actually kind of, this is before the fast, slow, fast. This is actually uh, the sixth movement of a six-movement concerto. So it's actually not part this is before the typical fast slow fast was established right after you talked about how there's no or very few six part concertos i know we get that's why that's why i didn't say there's none (laughs) i just said there's very few yeah well i I knew not to put myself in a corner there (laughs) it is a little bit longer too than the other yes this is actually the longest movement of any concerto that he ever wrote wow this was four minutes yeah, this was an abnormal length at that time. This this would have been considered very long. This entire concerto actually takes about twelve minutes to get through. Oh, an eternity! Oh. <laughs> Compared In the pop to the world, that's a whole album. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, Ethan hurt himself a little bit there. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I'm sorry, Ethan. That's okay. It's just it is what it is. Yeah, it's three minutes. Three minutes is like three minutes and like twenty seconds is like okay. That's that's enough. Well, when you when you have such simple ideas and you're not doing anything crazy and dynamic, like you do anything longer than that, it's gonna feel repetitive. Yeah, it's gonna feel stretched. Yep. Get in and get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one does take its little sweet time creating the mood, though. Yeah, I like the little horn ending that we have here. So, yeah, it's nice, nice, nice Christmas one. And we got we got the Dio style. Oh, okay, 
coming back with the four seasons. Yeah, yep, we are. Ooh. So, I mean, I the, four, the four seasons is the most iconic uh, concerto. And, um, you know, with there being so much in it, it's, it's, it's literally, it's 12 movements, four concertos put together. And so I was just like, I got to include something else from it. And I figured I'd, it'd be really cool to hear this crazy, monstrous piece. Yeah. This not very is, long either. This is metal right here. Yeah, there's no way there's not a metal cover of this. I was literally just thinking that. <laughs> like, this I, is so fast. I Boy, am very speaks. confident to say that this is the birth of metal. You really can't find anything else beforehand, before this, that you could definitively say, that sounds metal. This, this third movement of summer... I don't know. I think you're going to tick off a lot of Beatles purists and say that Helter Skelter was the beginning, but no, I would agree. Oh, there's no, there's way more before that. I mean, this is so, this is like new wave of British heavy metal kind of, it's I'm very getting, power. I'm getting painkiller solo vibes from this. Uh-huh. It's just all over the place. It's like, oh, this arpeggio. Oh, we're going to have the band come back in. Oh, this arpeggio. It's nice dynamical flow. And it's really quick, too. I mean, this is the shortest one of the set that we've had so far. Yeah, but it accomplishes a lot. Man, you can just imagine just the the physical toll that this piece would have to take on its players. Josh. Yeah, somebody's playing this. Somebody recorded this. Had to learn this. And even you can imagine back then, like, this is a type of piece that people would get and were like, are you kidding me? No one can play this. Yeah. But then they do, and they rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. it's a pretty stunning piece. And so pretty much this this piece is meant to symbolize a summer torrential downfall, downpour. What do you think was going through people's brains the first time that they actually heard this? I don't know. This had to have been a shocking piece to hear at that time. This is so different from what we just heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, think about, like, the first time you heard a virtuosic piece of your favorite genre, you know? It kind of changes the way that you think about music a little bit. But, man, I'm like, can you just imagine being like... Oh, that's and you're like, oh, that's, this is really nice. This is what a nice thing. And it's like... It's like, whoa! Yeah. Well, I mean... Spring. It's like it's, it's like every thing. rock and roll kid's uh, story of, um, like, and that's the day that I wanted to learn the violin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, in the bad early two thousands movie, yeah. But we are on to part five now. Song five, I should say, not part five. So um, this is a solo concerto, even though it is it is labeled a little strange. I'm not sure why it says concerto a cinque. Um, but this is going to be a bit of a different piece because our solo instrument is going to be an oboe. Well, that's Ooh. nice. Oboes are kind of cool. We don't get a lot of oboe concertos. And so when, when I came across this one, I was just like, oh, we need to have this to have a, a, a bit of a different voice. Instead of having a lot of violin. Um, this was composed by uh, Tommaso Albinoni. Albinoni. And this is a movement too. Um, Albinoni was primarily a vocal instructor and a vocal conductor. Mm-hmm. And the reason he gravitated towards the oboe is that it had a... It's, it mimicked that low, rich vocal sound rather than the violin, high-pitched sound. You mm. still had a lot of expressiveness, but it had such a different color to it. Yeah, the tone is warmer on that mm-hmm. oboe. So, so oboe's his instrument, so he essentially wrote it for himself. Um, No, oboe really wasn't his instrument. Like I said, oh. he was his vocal was well, his but like he he learned the oboe like that was his no not necessarily like, did he write this for himself no he just he he a conductor knows how to write anything okay 
conductors don't typically write. I mean, they usually will have an instrument that they are most proficient in, like Vivaldi with the violin and Handel with the keyboard, uh, with the harpsichord, and um, Mozart with the piano. But um, he wasn't necessarily an oval. He just he liked the sound of it and decided, okay. hey, for this concerto, I want it to be the solo instrument. So composers didn't write concertos to play themselves. No, necessarily. Okay. No. They're no, going to stand they're up not, on that. They're going to yeah, they got to conduct. They're oh, not going to be in the Oh, good point. Playing. It's like a movie director starring in his own movie. Well, it happens. Yeah. But it's but. it's not like Miles Davis where he's the trumpet player but he's also the main songwriter. Okay. I wonder when that started happening, where it's like, yeah. this is my band. Well, I guess it's kind of Troubadour era. Yeah, and I mean, really, the conductor was the was in charge of the orchestra. Yeah. This is this is mine. I'm in control here. Yeah. yeah. But isn't this just such a beautiful piece? This is really nice. It is. It's nice and uh, logical, like the rest of the Baroque that we've heard. <laughs> Whereas the the four season sections that we just had, they were very uh, they're still logical, but they're kind of jolting. Mm-hmm. I think that the slower the slower pieces that we've had in this set have fit with that baroque um, commonality. Yeah, and we end with a nice little resolution too. Mm-hmm. So now we're into our final song. So this we're we're gonna ha- we're gonna make a return to our good friend George hey. Handel. I didn't notice that at first. Yep. So the man, the myth. So and in, so instead of an Italian, <laughs> we're gonna end with a German. Wow. That well, did... you did say that Germans kind of took the reins. Yes, they did, especially when Bach came around. Ooh. We uh, haven't used that name yet. No, we haven't. We will be using it much next episode, Ooh. next music history episode. Um, but Handel, I wanted to put this in there to show that he didn't just write oratorios, even though we had said that in that episode. Um, he, There's still a massive amount of music that we didn't even get the chance to talk about. And so this was my chance to kind of go, hey, look, this is what Handel also do. And to hear to hear again a different nationality attempting this same musical style. Yeah. And you can hear kind of in intrinsically the difference. Yeah. Um, something that was very interesting to learn through learning about concertos was learning about the Italian and the German style. And you think, I was told to think about the languages, think about the Italian language, how lyrical and how smooth it is, how, um, how rom- again, it's, it's a love language. It's romantic sounding. It's, you know, when people speak Italian, it's very, you know, the, the girls, their, their cheeks get red and, you know, yeah. it's, it's very sensuous. Then think of the German language. Yeah. It's very harsh. It's very um, jagged. It's you speak German to someone and they're not going to (laughs) be that flattered. They're going to be like, they're going to be a little scared. Yeah. (laughs) And so their music takes on a much different tone. And it's the reason why you, for a long time, did not see much German uh, vocal music because it was such a hard language to write music. Yeah, and so that's why they became initially masters of instrumental form and the way that they would construct their melodies was to keep things moving so much as to where you could fit because all of the words <laughs> if you're going to copy this, the, the, the language style of the Germans it's gonna it's not going to be very vowel driven it's going to be consonant driven right 
And mm. so you can hear that in even the way their instrumental music flows. Yeah. And yet, and yet it's still beautiful in, in a very different way. Yeah. It does seem like the melodies are a little bit more active. It seems like there's a lot of fifths, too. Hmm. Maybe it's just this one song. But I didn't notice it that much in um, the other five. So. Or maybe I'm just used to the four seasons and it's all over the place there. <laughs> this definitely seems more like uh, boomy and like trotting like it's like boom 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 like really square like that mm. or the other one yeah. is more like breathing movements this feels more like boom 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 you know yeah and that's definitely the german style coming through again it's 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 very more marchy and uh-huh it's a german german is a rhythmic language italian is much more free-flowing that is crazy how the the language itself influences because then that makes you think like what sort of biases towards music do we have because we're English speakers? Mm-hmm. Like maybe there's things that people of other languages are like, oh man, English music is so this and that and we have no idea. Yeah, I guarantee, yeah. It's, it's harder to tell now though because of the... F- the intentionality of blending musical styles and locations together. Right. It's, you know, you pull Americans will pull from French and German and Italian Mm -hmm. and, and Asian and, and all these different places where back then it was just like your music sounded where you came from. Yeah. And you don't really, there's no such thing as mixing styles. Seems like we resolved to the fifth. Ethan, did you pick up on that? I did. It felt felt like we didn't end. Yep, it ends on the five. But is that is that the last of the concerto? Yes, it is. Hmm. I, I liked it. I I think yeah. I liked it because it's a lot of the other musical stuff that we've gone to. It's been like epic like things that are like an epic massive proportion and it's kind of nice to be like then this came along it was really popular and it wasn't as big you know like it wasn't as as big and bombastic and world changing it's just like really well written almost it's more minimal you know Mm -hmm. and it's just good it's just kind of easy listening in comparison to the operas and you know yeah well, all right. Well, we'll go ahead and take another break here. When we come back, we are going to uh, give our final thoughts about the concerto. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. Uh, we just got done listening to our six-song set for our concertos. Um, and now it's time for our final thoughts. This is where we, um, at, at the beginning, we give a number about how we feel about, how we felt about concertos. And now after talking about them in the history and after listening to the songs, we give a new number and we say our favorite song and why. And so, Grant, final thoughts. Uh, what do you think about concertos? Four seasons, summer. I'm just going to get that out yeah. of the way. <laughs> That's what I would have guessed for you. Well, it's just, it was so virtuosic, and there were so many different colors just all thrown in there, like all at once, but not overwhelming, but just on the edge of it, I don't know. It was great. And like a lot of the time when we think about, oh, old music, pre-classical, or even classical music, we think of it as boring, like that's just the instinct, but man, that was not even... That was riveting. Oh, man, I'm using I'm using fancy people words. Yeah, fancy words. Yeah, that's a that's your vocab word of the week, kids. Um, yeah, so that was definitely my favorite. I liked the fact that we looked at the two different kinds and made a big deal. Talk about the fact that there are two different kinds of concertos. 
because you know that's important that's like two halves of one whole and if you don't really understand one of the halves you don't really understand it at all so that was really interesting to see that uh difference between the two i don't know if i could really put myself at a number because it's kind of like rating a whole genre you know which that's like that's a very big question you have to listen to a lot of a genre to say that but all indications show that i at least like it i'd put it at a six you know there's not there's not a whole lot that you can take out of you know six songs for a whole genre but it's a very strong representative group and I really kind of want to listen to all of the four seasons. Oh, you would not disappointed if you did. I I I was not disappointed when I listened to um, Handel's Messiah. I was also not disappointed to listen to a whole bunch of the Dio that uh, which we talked about last episode. Oh, so yeah. I mean, I listened through the four the first four Rainbow albums, and I listened through Heaven and Hell, and today I listened through Holy Diver, and I'm like, that's probably the best that I've heard. I really like the Rainbow stuff, but Holy Diver was great. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a landmark record. So, I mean, it was just one after another, just good song after good song. I'm hoping I'm going to see the same thing with the Four Seasons. And if if the two songs that we have on here are any indication, then I definitely will. So, that's kind of my final thought. However uh, crazy that is. <laughs> I would say for me, I think uh, Handel's Concerto is my, is my favorite one. The the sixth one. The yeah. Handel's Concerto uh, Grosso number seven. I just, I like the ways, the way that the Germans did it. It might also be like a personality thing because I'm <laughs> very much not uh, flowy like the Italians, you know. <laughs> um but I, it can just, we get, can we make that a quote, an official quote of Ethan Scott? I'm yeah. not flowy like the Italian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I resonate with the German language more in, of my personality. But I just, I liked how it was kind of methodically tri- like kind of drudging along, and you know, it was it was predictable in a lot of good ways, and and unpredictable in a lot of good ways. And it and the movements kept me interested, um, even though obviously the four seasons like they're really really impressive. But like the Handel's Concerto is the one that like piqued my ear, you know, probably because I had already heard the other two, you know. But just hearing that and just being like, oh, these are some nice like like interesting just kind of chord movements and and the way that the song kind of builds up into its, you know it's little choruses or whatever it's different movements are, are I think it's really well done and handle is uh, it's impressive that he also wrote this you know mm-hmm. <laughs> it's impressive that that his that he can just pump out so much music yeah it's true and I think my number I'll probably I would probably for the same reason as Grant I would probably give it a six mainly um I don't know if I would ever, I can't say that I'm neutral because I do like it, but I don't know if I would ever come back and be like, you know what? I'm really in the mood for some concertos. I'm going to go listen, you know, because <laughs> uh, it's so vague, you know, um, opera feels like there's some more handles on it. Like if an opera came to town, I would go, but if a concerto came to town, I don't know if I would go because they just seem like very different things like uh, opera is like a show i mean i don't really think that a concerto comes to town you, you know but you know what i'm saying it's, it's more of an orchestra comes to town and maybe they'll play some concerto yeah um opera has but, more handles on it you said <laughs> no, i'm sorry i'm that was good no i'm no, sorry nobody else picked up on it i had to point it out but <laughs> yeah i think i would say i'm a six i like it there's nothing bad about it. There are probably bad concertos and good concertos, but I think the theory of it and the, the, I understand why they exist. And I think that it's a really good move. Whoever did it first is really smart to just try to like bottle that up and distribute it like we did. And I think 
it's going to be interesting to see like what the next because I feel like concertos are like in the way that opera was a springboard stylistically you know I feel like mm-hmm. concertos are like the first fruits of like distribution of music and trying to make it accessible like truly accessible and so I'm interested to see how this movement of concertos and the violin and and people having concerto books and little two minute three minute songs that get passed along everybody i'm interested to see what that does to kind of musician and music culture as music becomes easy more easily to access from other people that seems to be kind of more of the landmark thing is like did anything crazy happen musically yeah but like not as crazy as it is to be like people are starting to like bottle up the lightning and actually like you know play other people's stuff and and share information and people are looking at new virtuosic pieces and be like hey you're not really a, that good of a violin player if you can't play four seasons and people are like oh i can practice that i can do that yeah it just seems like the culture of music went from being like I studied at this really famous school for forever to now it's like, I can go find a book, you know, and I still need some musical knowledge, but you can see the, the, the underpinning of that kind of society, kind of the fruition of that starting here. It's the beginning of the uh, YouTube guitarists. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, me, I started at a six just because I did have some background on the concerto before I'd heard not just the broke pier- concertos, but classical and romantic. But I still had had a shallow view on what the concerto was and could be. And um, I will say that after learning about the origins and the construction and the different types and the importance of the concerto, I would say that I'm definitely at a very firm seven. Um, I actually do find myself sometimes going, man, I want to listen to a concerto. It doesn't happen that often. <laughs> every now and then, like, I'll, I'll just go, oh, I want to listen to this. So... Um, I'm very excited because we'll go, we'll return to concertos again when we get to the classical period, because mm. it's the concerto really that facilitates the um, the development of the piano, and it, the pian the concerto is what turns the piano into such a superstar instrument. So concertos don't go away. This wasn't like a fad. No, this is just the beginning of it. Okay. This really, you could say that the concerto is next to the symphony as far as most composed forms of instrumental music in wow. history. It, in all of time. In all of time. Wow. The concerto that is a lot of time. still a, um, a major form of music. Really? If anything, it's it has gone more famous and more well revered as time has gone on. Like it's still being composed. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know the band System of a Down. I do. Their lead singer Serge Tankian just released a twenty-five minute piano concerto that he just wrote. Oh boy! That, is it- this is news to me because they are just. I would not. Well, but at the same time, Four Seasons Summer, you know? Mm-hmm. They are kind of in the, I, the new metal is that a, is that a secret? Um, is that a secret uh, hint at a future episode? Um, I've listening, thought of, listening I, to the 25-minute <laughs> long concerto from System of a Down? Um, Maybe. I don't know. I've, I've thought about doing a System of a Down episode, but I haven't scheduled it. That could be our first one. Maybe the introduction Maybe. system of down. <laughs> uh, probably not if we're introducing people. Volume two. <laughs> Maybe volume two. <laughs> oh boy. Well, um, oh, and my favorite. Um, 
my favorite song is um, the Concerto a Cinque, which is Tommaso yes. Abenoni's one with the oboe. I just, for me, that one just feels so it's nice. It's so nice. That's probably my second favorite. The oboe, yeah. The oboe is just one of those instruments. Yeah. It's, it's so warm. Uh-huh. It is. That's it's very different from everything else that we listen to, just because you have that instrument coming in and really um, dominating a space that it normally doesn't dominate. And then the, the melody is just really nice. The, uh, the song that originally turned me on to the oboe was No Leaf Clover. There's that little line at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that is so well placed. Like, I wish that moment lasted a little bit longer. And I guess we get, you know, four minutes of that moment in the uh, in that song. Yeah. There you go. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Hopefully you have enjoyed this episode. Um, our next music history episode will be at the end of uh, July. So make sure that you tune in for that one. Uh, But in the meantime, we have new episodes that come out every Monday at midnight. It's not 9 a.m. anymore. So at midnight, the episode will be available for you to listen to. Um, We are going to be returning to an artist next week that we have already talked about before. And we're going to be celebrating a particular record of theirs. So uh, make sure that you tune in for that. And uh, make sure that you message us on uh, social media, on Instagram and Facebook. We've got a lot of stuff going on there now. And so uh, we like to throw out a hint every Thursday to see if you guys can figure out who the artist is that we're going to be talking about next week. And we like to ask you guys questions. And so we we really want you guys to be involved and we like to hear your guys' opinions. So uh, make sure that you check that out. In the description of the episode, there's two links. One of them is going to take you to the songs and to the playlist. Please make sure that you go listen to them. It'd be a shame if you got to this point of the episode and you didn't even listen to the songs. Um, and then the other link is going to take you to our Patreon page where you get access to uh, songs early or episodes early as well as the Bad Music Podcast segment. Now, we don't do that during our music history episodes. I can't. Uh, scour all the concertos written during the period <laughs> to find out what were the six worst. So <laughs> that just that just wouldn't be possible. So we're uh, we'll we'll wait until next episode to to talk about some bad music. And uh, lastly, if you want to leave us a review, it's, um, you can. That's another way that you can let us know what artists you want us to cover next time. And we've got a lot of really cool stuff coming up in the near future. So you're going to want to make sure that you are checking out what is happening and staying up to date on the episodes. So that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music. Good music.